We've got a jam-packed Tuesday coming up. We're going to have reports from the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Final day of prep before we get things going on Wednesday. Who are some of the favorites coming in? Is defending champ Anna Davis on that short list? You're going to find out. Plus, it's the last chance for 2018 Masters runner-up Ricky Fowler to play his way into next week's Masters. We're going to break down what has to happen for Rick at this week's Valero Texas Open. See if he can ride a Lone Star heater to a tee time at Augusta. And the PGA Tour making some more moves. New eligibility requirements in place for the 2024 season. Some may surprise you. Rex Hoggard is going to hop on the show and tell us all the latest news as Golf Today is coming your way right now. Golf Today. We've got Georgia on our mind and survival on our brain in San Antonio, Texas. It is windy and it is chilly in the Lone Star State. We have reports coming from the Augusta National Women's Amateurs. We're previewing the action before it starts tomorrow. Kira K. Dixon is over at this week's PGA Tour stop. Third oldest on tour. Valero, Texas Open, the final one before next week's Masters. We're going to check in on both sites throughout the show this Tuesday. So with that, Hello and welcome inside our Golf Channel studios. I'm George Savarikis with Golf Week columnist Eamon Lynch. This is our two-hour edition of Golf Today. Eamon, it's the time of year that you can smell it. Spring is in the air. If you're a Northeast golf fan or a Midwest golf fan, you get teased with that day in the mid-50s. You think, short season. Let's start playing some golf. It is also, though, when golf fans start gearing up, not just for the Masters, but what I really enjoy now as a golf fan Drive Chip and Putt National Championship as the Sunday precursor. And for women's golf fans, this is a huge week with the Augusta National Women's Amateur kicking off tomorrow. What used to be the best week of the year has now become the best two weeks yep. of the year, George. Almost kind of like Christmas morning comes a little bit early. You get to see elite golfers playing Augusta National five days before you used to. The Masters, and you get, you know, the, the, the course architecture geeks are going to love it as well because they're looking over shoulders just to see what changes, what tweaks have been made during the course of the previous year to Augusta National. And while it's unlikely that the, the women playing the Augusta National Women's Amateur will be all the way back on that new 13th tee box, this is going to be our first look at it as well. And anything else that's actually changed in terms of how this course is playing this year? There are always some little tweaks Compared to what we see one year at the Masters. Not always announced the either. <laughs> a lot of them just pop up and all of a sudden, oh, wow, that looks a little different than it did last year. First couple rounds for the Augusta National Women's Amateur, our Champions Retreat Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia, the site of the first 36 holes, the Island and the Bluff Nine. The Champions Retreat Golf Club serving as the Championship 18 Wednesday and Thursday before practice round at Augusta National on Friday for the entire field. And then the final round, Saturday at Augusta. Highest ranked players in the field. I mean, all eyes have to be on Stanford's Rose Zhang. All she done is post five wins in six starts this season at Stanford. Remember, she won the 2020 U.S. Women's Amateur, last year's reigning NCAA Women's Individual Champ. You see LSU's Ingrid Lingblad, if you remember last year, was runner-up by a shot share of T2 with her teammate Latana Stone, one back of Anna Davis. The 54-hole event with the first two rounds contested at Champions Retreat. 36-hole cut, top 30 and ties advance to the final round. If tied after 54 holes, winner will be decided in a sudden death playoff, just like what we see at the Masters. So let's say hello and welcome now to Paige McKenzie, who's part of the broadcast team for the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Paige, Exciting that this year all three tournament rounds will be broadcast. How meaningful will that be for the players? Uh, it's certainly very exciting. I'm excited to be back here as well uh, to be able to cover this, a great, uh, this great event. With only one of the tournament rounds previously being shown on television at Augusta National, it may have felt a little bit like an exhibition to the outsider looking in, that it was just the one day at Augusta that these great elite women had an opportunity to compete at the highest level. But that's not the case. And the way that this event has always been managed and handled is a, a huge amount of investment as well as dedication into making 
sure that the top women amateurs in the world have the biggest stage to perform on. And now we have an even bigger spotlight in the fact that we're going to have a chance to see the first two qualifying rounds or the first two days of this event before the cut. Uh, and so I'm very, very excited, and I know that the women here are as well. Paige, how significant is the schedule change this year? Because in years past, the Augusta National Women's Amateur was up against the Chevron, the first women's major of the year. That created a difficult decision for a lot of players. That's not the case anymore. That's got to be a pretty big deal for some players in the field. It is. And the other thing is you were splitting the spotlight a little bit. You had the best female professionals in the world competing at the first major championship of the year, as well as this feels like a major for the best women amateurs. So I think from a fan's perspective, you don't have to split your allegiance. Uh, you can watch both events uh, without having to feel conflicted at all. But more importantly, as you pointed out, some of the best players in the world are invited to both events and had to make a decision on which event do they want to compete at. And for the, these players that wanted to play at the highest level, that they want to turn pro and play on the LPGA Tour, it became a very difficult decision to, to say no to a women's major the, that could very well be their future or no to this uh, elite event. So I think uh, it's been great news that, that Chevron has moved their date and that now for those handful of players that may be invited to both, that they have an opportunity to play in both. Well, we're going to see 32 players return this year from last year. What do you think the experience counts for in this event? Well, it's interesting that you, you bring this up, Eamon, because I, I was kind of curious to know, uh, of the players that have seen this golf course have played on the biggest stage, does it influence their score? And I look specifically at the 11 players that had played uh, in 2021 as well as 2022 that we are again going to see this year. And it doesn't appear that there's been a lot uh, as it relates to scoring advantage for those players that have come back. In fact, of the six players that made the cut one of at least one of those years, four of them actually performed worse from a scoring perspective at Champions Retreat, and only two of those six uh, competed and, and performed a little bit better. What's interesting about that is that's actually the opposite of what is the field average. You might say, well, maybe the golf course played a little tougher in 2022. That's not the case. Uh, when you compare the scoring averages of the field. So it doesn't appear, at least so far, historically in that small sample size, that it's made a huge amount of difference in the scoring uh, here at Champions Retreat to have had that little bit of a preview in the previous year. Viewers this year are seeing Champions Retreat and then Augusta National on Saturday. What's that transition going to be like for those in the field from <laughs> Champions Retreat to Augusta National? Well, the great news is, and I, I really like this format. Uh, some people think maybe all three days need to be at Augusta National. I like the fact that Champions Retreat has been brought into the fold because it really has provided a great separator to make sure that the best players then advance and make the cut and have the, the privilege to compete and, and finish the event over at Augusta National. But the two golf courses are different. There are similarities when you look around. You see, have the same tall trees, firm fairways, firm greens, a little bit less elevation change here at Champions Retreat. There are a couple holes on the back nine that have some, some hills that they have to contend with, but by comparison, uh, it's a much flatter golf course. What was interesting is a couple of years ago, Ingrid Lindblad, uh, who was one of those top performers that you've mentioned before, uh, I noticed her on the range after her round working on the side of the hill on the driving range. And I talked to her, and she was just pra practicing what she knew was going to be the uneven lies at Augusta National Golf Club. So uh, it doesn't provide necessarily a great uh, mimic of Augusta, although I'm not sure that any golf course in the United States would. But it does provide a great test that separates this field. Paige, oftentimes the defending champion in Anna Davis would be the presumptive favorite. But you look at what Rose Zhang has been doing at Stanford it's incredible her sophomore <laughs> season only player in NCAA women's golf with a scoring average under 70 she's at 68.54 has already tied the Stanford women's record for wins all time with nine has five in her last six starts what she's doing is is tiger-esque like there's no <laughs> other way to put it it's arguably one of the best stories in not just amateur golf but all of golf at the moment where do you stack her up then on your short list of favorites 
Well, she's at the top of the list for me, having you know come into this with four collegiate wins consecutively. And then when you consider that back in 2021, uh, she really had the tournament title in her grasp until she triple bogeyed the 13th hole and ultimately only lost by one. Uh, so she, I think, has a little bit to prove here, uh, not... <laughs> Not necessarily prove her career, but she may uh, want to go go out and try to have a little redemption on that 13th hole, considering that could have very well cost her that event in 2021. But she's a talented player. She's got a good head on her shoulders, and I think that was the first thing that impressed me when I watched her play for the very first time. Is There's nothing that's going to necessarily wow you. She doesn't overpower golf courses, but she has an incredible level of poise and she doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes i think that was what was shocking about what happened in 2021 uh so i think when you put her in a, a big platform like this a big stage and playing difficult golf courses she's definitely one of the ones that people are going to be paying attention to Paige, Augusta National is famously a golf course that it's very difficult to, for defending champions to retain their title on how do you think mm -hmm. anna davis is going to fare in her title defense this week uh, you know, that's a hard one to project out. She's 17, just recently turned 17 years old. She was very young when she did win this last year. Uh, but she did return to the area just two weeks ago for the Sage Valley Junior Invitational, where she ultimately won wire to wire. And after the win, she talked about how comfortable she was with this style of golf course because uh, this kind of area that she plays in, whether it's Sage Valley, whether it's Champions Retreat or Augusta, she felt like had a similar feel. So that brings her comfort and confidence heading into this week as well. All right, Paige McKenzie with us. We're going to have much more from Augusta, Georgia throughout the show here on Golf Today. Switching gears over at TPC San Antonio. We're capping off a Texas two-step with the Valero Texas Open. Less than an hour and a half drive from Austin Country Club, one of the oldest events in the PGA Tour, dating all the way back to 1922. JJ Spawn, your defending champ. We're going to see some notable names in the field getting their game sharp for Augusta. Here are some of the notables not yet in the Masters, including Ricky Fowler, Thomas Dietrich, Matt Kuchar had a good week at the WGC Dell Technologies match play. The defending champ, J.J. Spawn, he's not in the field yet at the Masters. And Taylor Montgomery's had a spectacular start to his PGA Tour career, not yet in the field at the Masters. So let's check in with Kira K. Dixon at this week's PGA Tour stop in San Antonio. Kira, as you mentioned, uh, this is an all-important week. What more can you tell us? This is a very important week, George. And just as you mentioned, this is one of the oldest and most storied events on the PGA Tour. This year is the 100th anniversary of the first playing of the first iteration of the Valero Texas Open back in 1922 at Breckenridge Park in San Antonio, Texas, which is personal for me because I actually grew up playing a lot of junior golf at Breckenridge Park in San Antonio, Texas, when my family lived here as a little girl. So it's nice to have that little bit of connection. But fast forward to 2023, we are here at TPC San Antonio. And although everybody's minds are certainly on winning the Valero Texas Open. It's also last chance saloon for plenty of players in the field. Now there are 11 players in the field this week that already have their invitations to Augusta National next week. But for everybody else, while they want to come away here with a win on, a, on the PGA Tour, they also know that with that win is the last spot available at the Masters Tournament. I spoke to Stuart Sink earlier and he told me, you know, he hasn't been playing all that well. He's coming off of four missed cuts but he wanted to tee it up in this event to just give himself an opportunity to potentially be able to play at the Masters Tournament next week. If he doesn't show up here, then there's not even an opportunity to speak of. So the Masters certainly on the minds of most of the field here this week in San Antonio. Yeah, Valero, Texas Open, last chance saloon for a lot of guys to get that coveted invite to the Masters. Kira, we can tell it's blustery. Uh, and Historically, the <laughs> TPC San Antonio can be a tough test. What's the forecast going to be like this week? Yes, if my hair is any indication of the conditions out here today, it's a bit windy. Texas living up to its windy reputation. I talked to Kevin Streelman on the 18th fairway earlier this morning, and he just looked at me and said, I have no idea why I'm out here. Uh, Stuart Sink and Davis Love III showed up to the range this morning with a complete uh, indication that they were going to go through a full warm-up and go out and play 18 holes, and they looked at each other and said, there is absolutely no point to do this. They called it a day. Uh, Stuart decided he was just going to go putt and have some coffee 
instead, which I think other than the putting, I might be joining him on the, on the coffee idea. Um, he also mentioned that playing out here in these sorts of conditions when it's not forecasted to be this windy for the rest of the week could potentially give you some bad habits. So there really isn't much point. Um, but in terms of the forecast for the rest of the week, it seems like we might be seeing some thunderstorms and scattered showers. So uh, we'll continue to see how that could impact play for the rest of the week. Yeah, you see a lot of guys who are eyeballing the weather today and thinking, all right, no work today. Most of the work coming on yeah. Wednesday. <laughs> all right, moving on to Ricky Fowler's recent run on the PGA Tour. You see he's played seven events since the calendar turned to 2023, has made all seven cuts, and Ricky riding some good form into this week at the Valero Texas Open, but on the outside looking in at the Masters. I was looking at Ricky Fowler, what he's done in his career, where he has right now. He's 34 years old, has five PGA Tour wins. That 34 age can put guys at a crossroads either one direction or the other. Vijay Singh, of course, the extreme example, only had three PGA Tour wins from 34 on, had 28 more. Phil Mickelson was more of an even split at 21 before turning 34, 24 after. Curtis Strange... The other extreme at 17 until he turned 34 and then zero all that he was Mr. 80 said no. 17 and two majors. What do you think this next act will be like for Ricky Fowler now that he's 34 years old? It's an interesting question with Ricky because he's kind of the proto millennial mm -hmm. here. He was the young snazzy dresser who didn't in the earliest days of his career seem as though he was delivering enough to match the talent or, or the brand making. And then he went through a, a pretty hot patch where he did play really well. He won the players, won several times on tour. Hasn't won now since the uh, WM Phoenix Open four years ago. But those results that you've just seen show a little bit more promise. That's the power of Butch Harmon putting his arm around your shoulder and telling you you're a top 20 player. Because there's no way Ricky Fowler believed that based on what we'd seen over the last few years when he was just kind of lost with his golf swing. And Ricky hasn't made that many cuts in a row since the spring of 2019. So his game is definitely turning around. And when you look at the numbers as well, off the tee last year, Ricky was 114th on tour. He's 84th. Now, he's 10th in strokes gained approach. He was 150th last year. And with his putter, which was for many years considered one of Ricky's great weapons, it had totally deserted him. He was outside the top 160 last year. Now he's on the cusp of being inside the top 50 as a putter on tour. So everything's trending in the right direction. Ricky Fowler is in a good place, even if he's not in the field next week at Augusta National. He's moving in a direction that he hasn't moved in for several years. Well, we're seeing the, the positive direction that he's moving in, but from a life cycle standpoint of the next one, three, five, seven years going forward, I mean, what he was almost the victim of losing in that playoff in 2009 at, at the Fries.com, and we thought, oh, my God, Ricky almost... One is a 21-year-old right coming right out of Oklahoma State. He's the next big thing. He has this aura about him. He has the cool factor. He has this explosive-style game for being a man small in stature. And then he had five PGA Tour wins, and that wasn't enough for us. For a lot of people, that's an amazing career, what he's been able to do to this point. But do you think that Ricky can replicate five more PGA Tour wins going forward? Is he going to have a greater second act? Or was he just held it, it too high a level of expectations coming out of Oklahoma State based on his amateur career? He was certainly held to a level of expectation and the brand building around Ricky only increased those expectations. I absolutely think Ricky Fowler could get to double digit wins in a PGA Tour career. And he's already had a heck of a career yes. by the standards of most guys who ever walk onto the PGA Tour. And the interesting thing where Ricky goes now is now that he's married and basically he's settled down, he's got a family, there's, it'll be interesting to see to what extent the other noise, the other distractions, all of the commercial stuff recedes a little bit farther and he finds that time to devote to his game. He's clearly doing that now. You can see that in the results mm -hmm. that he's getting. But when Ricky is less about Ricky the brand and Ricky the player, there's a lot there, and I think there's a lot of potential ahead in the next five, six, seven years for Ricky Fowler. I think Ricky's in a unique environment because his wife, Allison, very high-level athlete in her own regard, very familiar with the type of training that has to go in to then be an athlete who's performing their best. So he has the support system to get there, but obviously the demands of wanting to be a husband who's present, 
a father who's present. You get the push and pull with the brand commitments that you mentioned. I think he seems very happy with where his game is trending at right now. You look historically, he has 12 top 10s in majors and a, a few runner-up finishes. He's come so close, and you forget how close he was that he posted at the 2018 Masters, and Patrick Reed's clutch putting down the stretch was what thwarted him from being in a playoff. I do think, and I don't know if this is necessarily the year, I do think Ricky's going to have his moment where he wins a major, and that completely changes the narrative on his career arc. Yeah, he's got all the talent in the world. We saw that back in 2014 when he was top five in all four majors. The yeah. guy has all the talent in the world to get there. He's gone through a rough patch, went down a, a road that he perhaps didn't find any success on with swing teacher with John Tillery. He's back out of that now, and we'll see where it takes him. And selfishly... For Ricky's sake, I hope 34 isn't over the hill because we're both <laughs> past that hill. And I would like to think we have some more pep in our step. I think your best days are ahead of you. I'm, I know Ricky Fowler's are. <laughs> but the PGA Tour is starting to put some specific shape on its new structure for next season. Last night, the Tour sent a memo to players explaining eligibility criteria for regular and designated events. We're going to have the details on that next. Golf Today. Brought to you by Windgrips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf and the new Pro X3, the best just got even better. And by Cobra Aerojet Drivers, faster by design. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on Golf Today on Monday, the PGA Tour sent out a four-page memo to players outlining adjustments to eligibility starting next year and confirming that the designated events award sustain substantially more FedEx Cup points than full-field tournaments beginning in 2024. Beginning next year, there will be 16 designated events, including the four major championships, the Players' Championship, three FedEx Cup playoff events, and eight other tournaments that have not yet been announced. And here are the eligibility changes for 2024. This is how guys make their way onto the PGA Tour. The top 50 in the FedEx Cup through the playoffs. The top 70 through the playoffs who make the BMW Championship will also have full exempt status on tour. The top 125 through the 2023 fall events and then there are pathways through the top 10 on the DP World Tour, the top 30 on the Corn Ferry Tour. Q School is coming back with the top five on ties. And then 126 through 150 in the fall events. And here is the eligibility for the designated events. The top 50 from the prior year's FedEx Cup rankings through the playoffs. The top 10 in the current list not otherwise exempt that will include the top 10 from the fall series through the west coast swing the top five available not otherwise exempt fedex cup point earners through the swing of full field events that precede the elevated events and then current year tournament winners of full fedex cup point events the top 30 in the official world golf ranking 
and four sponsors exemptions who must be PGA Tour members. So here to put all of this in context for us, Rex Hogger, Golf Channel senior writer. Rex, what are the big takeaways for you in this? Are there any surprises in what they've laid out? I think we have a little bit more clarity for what's going on, specifically in the fall when we talked about, we didn't know exactly what the fall was going to be now that we know that players will be able to do what the tour called in this memo, play, play in. They want to pre present these opportunities for players to be able to play their way into the designated event. So now you get an idea of the importance of the fall. I've been told by numerous officials that they don't expect the fields to change that much. And now that we know that if you're in the top 50 after the tour championship, you can play the fall. You just won't be impacted going into the next year as far as eligibility. But 51 through 70, they can improve their status. So there will be plenty of motivation for these players to play in the fall. Uh, going forward to the regular season, you know, January through the Tour Championship, I think the thing that stood out to me is the Tour really tried to simplify this for the players. As you just pointed out, it's 50, 10, 5, and winners. And I think that's something that the players can at least wrap their mind around. Any uh, gauge of the sentiment from players on this new structure? There's been a lot of sentiment. I think the other part of the memo that stood out, and we had talked about this before, was going back to that players' meeting the week of the Players' Championship at CPC Sawgrass, and we talked about sort of the points distribution for designated events versus non-designated events. And we knew that the designated events were going to get more points, but I think a lot of players really had a problem with how many more points. And this memo points out that you'll get 700 points for winning a designated event versus 500 points for winning a non-designated event. Now, if you go back to that meeting, that spread gets even, even wider when you go down to, say, the top 10. For example, you finish 10th at a designated event, that's going to be worth 175 points. You finish in that exact same position at what they call a full field event, that's 75 points. Now, there's arguments on both sides of this. I've talked to a lot of players who are sort of middle of the road who will say that this is only going to create have and have nots on the PGA Tour, create two different tours. However, when I talk to players who are inside that top 50 and will be playing in these designated events, they pointed out that with this plan, there is no mandatory minimum like we have this year. Players have to play X amount of these designated events. The motivation starting next year will be much, much bigger purses, $20 million as of right now and dramatically more FedEx Cup points. Tour officials think that's going to get players to participate when they may not have otherwise. When you actually win and against whom you win also matters as well here, Rex, right? It's, I mean, for instance, Matt Wallace at the weekend, that wouldn't, win would not automatically have gotten him into a designated event because it was not a full FedEx Cup point event. It was an opposite field event. And the timing and the schedule when a guy wins also seems to matter in terms of what he's going to benefit from that. I'll go back to the opposite field events, and that's a really good point you pointed out. And I was actually talking with a policy board member about this last week at the match play, and they were adamant that there is no way that they feel like that a winner of an opposite field event should be able to earn their way into just based on that win alone designated events. Now, in the memo, the tour points out that the winner of that event would get 300 points, and that that would apply to the top 10. Certainly, it would apply to the swing, so they would have the play-in access that we talked about. The other part of this now, and I think this is important to point out, that the PGA Tour wants to make sure that you can play your way in, but along with that process, you're going to have to do it consistently. That if you're able to get inside the top 10 to get into these designated events, you'll have to stay there, and you'll have to do it each time in between what they call sort of minimizing the isolation between events. In theory, and this is what the Tour hopes to do with next year's schedule, there would be three non-designated events between designated events. That swing would create an opportunity, but you have to continue to play well throughout that swing. Isn't a lot of this just remains to come out in the wash, Rex, in terms of what's the churn? And is this a self-perpetuating ecosystem where being in that top 50 and playing these events is enough to keep you there? Isn't that really what's going to determine what the player sentiment is about this if not enough guys are being churned in and out of this system every year? Twice. You used churn, churn twice. I'm proud of you, Eamon. That one's tough to do in, in one question. Uh, I think that's the key here, and that, that's kind of become the key phrase in all of this. And players will wait because the players I talk to who have been for this, they say that I think 35 to 40 percent is sort of the churn rate, that 30 to 40 percent of those players inside the top 50 at the end of this season will not be inside the top 50 at the end of next season. Every player I've talked to that I've mentioned that and we've talked about, they agree with it. That seems about fair. It's almost 50%. It seems like that's a good way to sort of look at this. There is 
some amount of skepticism, however, that that will actually be the churn rate because we'll go back to the points. If you're getting 700 points, if you're getting dramatically more points, regardless of where you finish in these designated events, it's hard to imagine how they would fall outside the top 50. So yes, players will be watching that very, very closely. Rex, for the last decade, it's been pretty clear you had 25 cards for Corn Ferry Tour grads, 25 from the Corn Ferry Tour finals. Completely different look going into next year. You have the Corn Ferry Tour grads, 10 off the DP World Tour, Q School coming back. How are we going to handle reshuffles, priority rankings, all that minutiae that determines how these players are getting starts? George, you pointed out that it was a four-page memo, and two of those full pages were Q&As addressing exactly those kind of issues. I think you mentioned the reshuffle. That's one that was asked about in this Q&A session, and the response was the PAC and the policy board are going to take a hard look at it. I would imagine there will continue to be a reshuffle. I, I would imagine that those players who have access to the full field events will need to continue to play well to make sure they have access. So I don't see that changing all that much. But certainly, when you look at the players that can play their way onto the PGA Tour, going straight to the DP World Tour, having access now, it is dramatically different. All righty, Rex Hoggard breaking it all down for us here on the desk. Appreciate it, Rex. Eamon, your thoughts on kind of what Rex has gone into detail with this memo that the PGA Tour has released? So much of it remains to be seen in terms of how it works in practice. Like right now we're looking wise, at it yeah. in, in theory. And everything seems great in theory until it comes to practice in, in matters like this. But I, I think a big key is pathways and churn. And there are seven pathways to earn status on the tour now, that even coming in from the DP World Tour. There are six ways to earn your way into these designated events. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's not a closed avenue here. It's not as though anyone's got a, a contract that exempts them from being relegated out of this system. It will be determined by the quality of someone's play. The, the real key here, and, and Rex hits on it with this premium points that are offered for the, the designated events, does that keep in underperforming guys the next year? We won't know that until we get closer to the end of that 2024 season. It's why I would argue that they really need to look at what point players cease getting FedEx Cup points for a finish in a given week. Because if you're in a, an 80-man field and you can't finish better than 75th, should you really be getting any points at all? You still, to my mind, have to be measured against the field that you're playing that week. There ought to be some point where you cease to be rewarded for it. Yeah, I can buy that. There should be some type of drop-off, although Commissioner Jay Monahan saying, well, the cut was that you played well enough to get into that designated event, and that's where the point structure, I think, that would be the strategy behind the potential point structure for next year. What confused me for the last, say, decade plus, if you're the PGA Tour and you want the 70 best players on the PGA Tour, then you should have had a direct pathway from the college or amateur ranks to allow those players to have the cream rise to the top. Now I think we're starting to see that where there are some pathways for players who, like a say a Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas. And I know Spieth missed Q school back in, yeah. in 2012, so he's not the best example, but I would use, say, Justin Thomas or some of these other amateurs who immediately went to Corn Ferry, immediately to the PGA Tour. Now there's a route where they can directly get to the PGA Tour, which I think is healthy for the game. I wholeheartedly agree with you from a churn standpoint. You don't want to protect these players that are, say, 50 to 70. Yeah. You want there to be some attrition where players who are outside in that 70 to 100 category who are playing well, who are clearly on a trajectory to pass these guys, should have opportunities to get in there. And let's not forget those four sponsors exemptions, also known yeah. as the Tiger Avenue. That ensures he can play whenever he wants. Yep. Uh, you know, going from one Stanford standout back in the day with Tiger Woods to a current one, ahead uh, in the show, Beth Ann Nichols joins us from Champions Retreat Golf Club. We're going to have more on this stellar field, including Stanford sophomore Rose Zhang, who's putting together a season that would rival anything Tiger Woods ever did playing for the Cardinal. As you're watching Golf Today. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Champions Retreat Golf Club playing host to the first two rounds of the event on Wednesday and Thursday. The two nines in competition, fittingly designed by Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas. How's that for Championship 18? Testing the best women's amateurs with coverage beginning tomorrow at 1.30 Eastern on Golf Channel. Some of the notable names in the field. Anna Davis, your defending champ. You wonder what the high schooler is going to dial up in her title defense. Some of the other names that you see on that list. Ingrid Lindblad, who was a runner-up a year ago, as well as Stanford's Rosang, the number one ranked women's amateur. Golf Week's Bethann Nichols with us now on Golf Today and Stanford sophomore Rosang making her fourth appearance at the Augusta National Women's Amateur putting together an incredible season and that barely begins to describe it. How can we put what she's done thus far into perspective? Well, you're right. It's absolutely remarkable. You know, I said when she went into college that she's arguably the best junior player to go to college because in the women's game, so many of the phenoms just go directly to the LPGA. So it really is quite incredible what, what she's done. She's won five of six events so far this season. My favorite Rosang stat overall at Stanford is that she has 13 of her 16 appearances. She's finished in the top two, which is just incredible by by any stretch of the imagination she's of course a winner of the girls junior the women's amateur and uh and the ncaa championship and only one female has ever won all three of those titles and that was pat hurst and only one male has done that and that was tiger woods you look at her scoring average this season and i was mentioning it to Paige mckenzie earlier in the show it's 68.54 she's like a one and a half shot lead over who is second currently in the college game how is she feeling coming into this week, Bethann? <laughs> well, it was funny. On Friday, a group of us had the opportunity to, uh, to chat with her over Zoom. It looked like she was in her dorm room, and she was in the midst of final exams. She said she had to memorize 94 terms for her Cold War class, and she'd been churning out 3,000-word term papers every day. So she said she's a little bit more mentally fatigued just from all the academic rigors going into this week than she was last year. Last year, of course, she dropped a dumbbell on her foot, and so was coming in not 100% physically and just wasn't really feeling good about her golf game. And she said, you know, Augusta National is not a place where you want to come when you're, you don't have your A game. And so I think we can all agree that Rose Zhang most definitely has her A game coming into this week. And, and I have to think now after a few days here, she's, you know, those final exams are, are in, in, the, in the back of her mind and, and she's probably feeling really free right now. Hey, George, that's how you don't drop a dumbbell on your foot if you don't work out. <laughs> Word of the wise. The last couple of years, Bethann, we've seen juniors win this tournament. 15-year-old Gianna Clement is the youngest player in the field this year. Is she a candidate for a third straight very young winner of the Augusta National Women's Amateur? You know, I, I think you definitely have to pay attention to her. She's the youngest player in the field. She just turned 15. She is the player who last fall, I think we can all remember those headlines when she Monday qualified for three consecutive LPGA tournaments. So she was able to compete alongside the best for three straight weeks. She got an up-close look at their game and, and realized that she needed to come away with a little bit more, more speed, a little bit more power. Since then, she's tacked on 10 extra yards to her game off the tee uh, since she's really put a focus on 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 physical strength and and she also really worked hard on her wedge game because she saw you know that precision at another level on the LPGA last year so this is a player who has as her coach describes an even kill killer instinct and she's good friends with Anna Davis and she was really bummed that she wasn't here last year so she's hungry 
Bethan, every golf fan knows that Augusta National is no pushover when it comes to scoring, but nor is Champions Retreat where you are right now. Do you have an appreciation for what this course will demand from the players for the first two rounds of the tournament? Well, it you know traditionally it has been extremely tough, and there's been a, a lot of a lot of rain on Sunday and Monday here, so it's going to play you know softer than usual, which is which is good news because the, these greens are firm and usually require a nice high ball flight. But bad news in that it'll probably play a little bit longer. So, you know traditionally the scoring average here is is pretty high, higher than it is at Augusta National. It's been over 76 one year even. Uh, I, th I thought what Anna Davis said a couple days ago was was really telling. She said, you know, I think the media. You know, doesn't give enough credit to how difficult Champions Retreat is. She said, you know, every hole requires extreme focus. She thinks the mental test of Champions Retreat is, is the toughest aspect of it and that par in any hole is a good score here. Bethann, we want the media to give some credit to other players in the field. That's why we have you here. So what are some additional storylines <laughs> that stand out? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the fun thing about this event is, you know, half the players in the field are here for the first time. So it's an opportunity for a lot of people, including myself, to meet some folks for the first time. And I'm excited to meet Janith Wong, who I've talked to on the phone from, from Australia. She, she actually hails from Malaysia, but she just graduated from high school in Australia in November and, uh, and came over to Pepperdine in January. And, and this is a player who is very unique in that she plays with two gloves. She's been doing that since she was seven years old and I said why two gloves and she said because my right hand hurt when I was a kid and so the the, the extra glove uh, made her feel better and she's been doing it ever since so she also does something unique in that she she looks at the hole rather than the golf ball on most of her longer putts and she's a fast player so this is a player who's won a couple Australia girls amateur titles a prolific winner really all over the world and and has just come to, to Pepperdine like I said earlier this spring and has a couple of top five finishes all ready and and she's only 18 years old so certainly a player to, to keep an eye on well if you play fast then you got a fan right here <laughs> looking forward to watching her and here's how you can watch the Augusta National Women's Amateur starting on March 29th and 30th on Golf Channel and Peacock remember Saturday April 1st from Augusta National on NBC and Peacock stay right there we'll be right back after the short break Founded more than 300 years ago, San Antonio became the first chartered civil settlement in what is now present-day Texas back in 1731. It's been one of the fastest-growing cities in the country over the past 20 years and has such a rich golf history, the birthplace to golf's winter tour back in 1922 with the inaugural Valero Texas Open staged that year. Such a vibrant city. TPC San Antonio, the host of this week, 36-hole facility, opened back in 2010. The Oaks course will serve as the final test before the Masters. And our Kira K. Dixon is with a man who was runner-up in his most recent start on the PGA Tour, and Adam Shank. Adam Shank teeing it up once again at the Valero Texas Open. But Adam, before we get to the event here in Texas, like we got to go back to a few weeks ago in that solo second you posted at the Valspar Championship in Tampa, Florida. I know it was a wild week for you. You had the opportunity to come away with the win. Uh, but how have you processed everything that happened that week? It was a lot to take in. I mean, it happened really fast. The Sunday with Jordan felt like two hours in and we were on hole 16 already. So it went fast. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, the outcome, which it could have been a little different, but all in all, still a great week. Um, I could have made six or seven up the last and was fortunate just to make five. When you think about it as a whole, um, obviously not the, the outcome that you would have hoped for, but what are the positives that you take away in terms of lessons learned? Yeah, um, lots of positives. I can compete. I can you know, come close to winning. I, I would assume I can you know, make up a shot or two um, with whichever part of the game that might be. So I would, you know, should have the confidence that I can win now. Um, been close several times, but just putting yourself up there, the more times I do that, the more comfortable I'll get. And having a chance to win on Sunday is, is so much fun and just can't wait to get back in that situation. Well, you have an opportunity here this week to get back in that situation. You, this is the fifth time that you're going to be playing the Valero yeah. Texas Open. Uh, what are your impressions of the course? Have you gotten to get out there and, and see how it's going to play in 2023? I have not. I'm assuming it's the same as last year's but this year um today at least it's so windy which we're going to go play on holes but it's this might be the first time it's 
too windy to play a practice round, so I don't, I don't think we'd be playing golf today if the tournament was going on, so um, I'll find out tomorrow on the program. Uh, a lot on the line this week, of course a win, but also an invitation to the Masters Tournament, the last opportunity uh, to get to Augusta. How much do you, how do you balance that on your mind versus also just focusing on the tournament at hand? Yeah, I mean, all the little steps David and I will do will just be to put us in a situation to have a chance on Sunday. I mean, it's essentially just a big Monday qualifier for the Masters, so if you win, you can get in, which would be awesome. I know Corey Connors did it a couple years ago, and maybe someone else has done it as well. Um, so if that happens, great, and if not, you know, it'd still be um, another fun week just to put myself in contention because I do really enjoy the course. It should be a good course for me. So just looking forward to doing that hopefully on Sunday. Well, speaking of putting yourself in contention, um the opportunities to get yourself into contention mean more and more, especially as we look to 2024, the PGA Tour sent a memo to players regarding some eligibility changes. Um, none of that was necessarily a surprise, but when you think about the concept as a whole and the changes moving forward, um, what are your main takeaways? Um, it's a good time to play really well, I guess. So that's fortunate for me. Um, if I can keep it going, that's great. I mean, the top 50 is huge. Um, top 70 obviously gets you in the playoffs, so there's different steps. And then gives you a chance to, if you're not inside the top 125 for the fall, to play your way in because um, the top 125 still means a great deal. But if you can get inside the top 50, that's huge. And, I mean, the changes are, are, are great mostly, I think. I think they might tweak it a little bit going forward. But it's something that they had to do, obviously, to compete and get the best players um, together playing more often. So I think everyone understands the changes and why they did them. Talking about the Masters players who earned a Masters invitation via the official World Golf Rankings on Monday. Nice move as Minwoo Lee was able to stay inside the top 50. Keith Mitchell, Harris English, and Jason Day is a player who, beginning of the year, it seemed like he'd have to put something miraculous together. Now he's all the way up to 33rd in the world because of his recent results. Since the calendar turned to 2023, it has been a brand new day. Jason Day with five top tens, his last six starts. Every single start on the PGA Tour in that span has been inside the top 20. It has been a remarkable run from Jason Day up the world golf rankings. After the Fortnite last fall, 164th, RSM 114th. So it was outside the top 100 going into 2023. WM Phoenix Open 57th after the players 37th. And now he has landed at 33rd. Here's day after last week's performance in Austin. I think, you know, you hear guys say, you know, they're taking ownership of their game. And I, I, to be, I never really understood that um, until the last two years um, to really kind of understand how my body's working, um, where things need to be, um, you know, body-wise and balance-wise for me to be able to swing the club a certain way is important. Um, I'm not 21 anymore and you know, I don't recover the same way so I have to be smart that way and then um, learning about the golf swing has been interesting and then going through some of the putting stuff that I went through the, you know, the last year and a half just overall just learning and, and trying, to, trying to get better uh, that's when I got to number one in the world uh, back in 15 I enjoyed the journey getting there but when I got there I didn't know how I got there uh, which was which is interesting to say because I had a team of people around me that would just take care of everything. So I just, you know, they just kept the horse running, you know, and I just was like, okay, I'm going to run straight in a straight line. And I think this this way this time around, I'm just doing it um, slightly different, and uh, at least I'll kind of have essentially an understanding of how things are and where they're going and where I want to be. Seems like it's a combination for Jason Day retooling his mind, his body, his swing with Chris Como. You, you think back to the highs that he had seven, eight years ago. He had eight wins in a 15-month span from February of 2015 through May of 2016, included a major in the PGA Championship, the players, and then the, the malaise from 2018 on. A lot of it seemed injury-related, but it seemed like he was in this abyss with no end in sight. And it's amazing how quickly the game can change and give it back to you. And we've just had the last two or three months, and you're starting to look at a guy who's resembling the former world number one. He, he's evidence that confidence is built very slowly and very incrementally in this game, but it is spent overnight. 
when things go wrong. When you go back to his peak in that 2014, 2015, 2016 period, he went four seasons where he missed a grand total of four cuts in four years. Until this season, in the previous four years, he'd missed 26 cuts in four years. And there were times when it didn't look as though Jason Day was going to come back, and a lot of that was physical. And we've heard Tiger say the same thing. You can't practice putting, for example, for very long. You're standing there arching your back. It's the hidden reps that people don't see. The exactly. hours and hours and hours that you have to put in to fine-tune your craft if you're going to be a top five or top ten in strokes game putting on tour. Yeah, and he found the perfect teacher in Chris Como because Chris has a long history of working with guys who've been physically compromised over the years. He's done that with Tiger, for example, is one guy that he's worked with. But Chris has a... A great understanding of the biomechanics of the golf swing and adjusting what you need to adjust to still physically be able to do what you can do. And Jason Day also has a growing family. He went through his mother's long illness and death as well. There's a lot of distractions in that four or five year period for Jason Day. But when you look at how he's performing now versus what he was like a year ago, it really is night and day out there. I mean, he's in the top 40 in strokes gained off the tee. He's top 25 strokes gained approach, top 20 in strokes gained around the green, and top 15 in putting. That is a vast improvement over where he was in every single one of those categories last year. And we've just seen his list of recent finishes. He's running a streak of seven straight top 20 finishes on the PGA Tour. So the rankings will tell you he's 33rd. There is no way right now that Jason Day is not a top 10 player in the world. I would buy that notion for sure. And you hear perspective jokingly thrown around a lot on Twitter, but I was looking at the transcripts from the WGC Dell Technologies match play, and this quote from Jason Day stuck out to me. He said, it's so hard to put an exact date on when I'm going to break through. Every day I try and wake up and improve and learn and try to get better as a player. I feel like I'm learning more and more about my overall game and how my body works, especially through the swing. It's been an interesting journey over the last two to three years, like you touched on um, with the, the passing of his mother. It'll probably be the same way through to the end of my career. It's more about the journey and enjoying that process than the wins hopefully get in the way. He's totally shifted his mindset from where he was six, seven years ago as a world number one who was trying to be a world beater, had Tiger as his confidant, to now having gratitude for the fact that he's rediscovering his form and knowing that, hey, there can be really high highs in this game and the lows can come at you really quick. One thing that hasn't changed, and it came in the first line of that quote, George, is when he said, I don't know when I'm going to break through. He didn't say, I don't know if I'm going to break through. Jason Day knows, he may not know a great deal about whatever twists and turns are in this journey ahead, but he does know what the ultimate destination is, which is getting back to the player he was. Yeah, he still has that mind of a champion, and he's a guy who is close right now. 12 PGA Tour wins, players, PGA Championship. He needs that next jump in his career, and he's a World Golf Hall of Famer. He's close, but not quite there. One more hot patch could probably do it for him. Yeah, for sure. All right, straight ahead, we're going to go back to Champions Retreat Golf Club once again. Another preview report from the Augusta National Women's Amateur with our crew on site who are taking a closer look at two of the stars in the field this week. Shifting our focus back to Georgia now as the women's world's best amateurs are getting set for the Augusta National Women's Amateur this week. Rounds one and two take place at Champions Retreat Golf Club. Coverage beginning tomorrow, 1.30 Eastern time. The highest ranked players in the field, that name, Rosang, has been in that top spot for feels like years and years and years. She's number one, Ingrid Lindblad, who was runner-up last year in the Augusta National Women's Amateur was T2, one shot back, and the winner, Anna Davis, is at number two. So with more, let's send it out to a couple guys who are on site covering this week's action, and we will say hello to Steve Burkowski. George, thanks so much. Always good to be alongside my partner, Brentley Romine, year four, the Augusta National Women's Amateur. And looking from high above at the fourth edition here this week, Brentley, what do you think the impact has been in amateur and women's college golf when they see this date roll around on the calendar every year? Well, Burko, I think the anecdote that sums it up is talking to some of these female players leading into this event, and a specific one jumps out, Florida State senior Amelia Williamson, her first in last Anwa this week. When she told me when she got the confirmation that she was in the field at the beginning of the year, 
She was on the practice range at Seminole Legacy Club in Tallahassee, immediately drops down to the ground, calls her parents, and breaks down in tears. So I think that just kind of sums up what this event means. You look at the field, it's loaded. I don't think there's any other amateur tournament in the world that gets this kind of field. When you look at 45 of the top 50 players in the World Amateur Golf Ranking, I don't think we can go wrong with any champion that we get this week. Yeah, it's quickly become a must-see if you're watching as a patron on site or those around the world watching on television. And college coaches also taking notice when you consider the fact there are five different universities that have at least three players in the field this week. They schedule it differently because they want to prepare these young women for the opportunity of a lifetime like Amelia Williamson or others. And you've documented the 72 in the field this week, world-class global representation at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. But I go back to 2019, the standard that was set by Jennifer Cupshow and Maria Fossey, two of the very best, if not best, in women's collegiate and amateur golf. And our eyes are always looking ahead to what might happen this Saturday, the final round at Augusta National. And we talk about one and two, Rose Zhang and Ingrid Lindblad. Those are their world amateur golf rankings. But how have they gotten to be so elite and so dominant during their time at Stanford and LSU? Well, I, I think it's just God-given talent, first off. But I always tell people, having Rose Zhang and Ingrid Lindblad play college golf at the same time, it's a bit like having Michael Jordan and LeBron James in the same area. You look at their credentials with Rose Zhang, nine wins and just not even two years of college golf. We talk about the T12 finish. That was her worst finish ever in college golf. You, she makes the game look so effortless. And then on the flip side, you have a player like Ingrid Lindblad, who's powerful, hits a really high ball. She's won 11 times, which is the most in school history, men or women's, at LSU. She's finished outside the top 11 just three times in 35 career starts. If this is the last ANWA for both of these players, there's a chance that they could be professional by the time we get to this event next year. Uh, what a way to go out uh, than to have the potential Cup Cho Fossey-like battle on, on Saturday. Rosang potentially in her sophomore season right now. She's won five of six times at Stanford, maybe trying to eclipse what Lorena Choa did two decades ago when Lorena won eight of ten events, which I believe is the greatest college golf season ever played by a man or a woman. And if you want a little Bayou Bengal flavor, how about LSU? Sam Burns wins on the PGA Tour. David Toms wins on the PGA Tour champions. And Kim Mulkey has LSU and the women's hoops team in the Final Four. So maybe it's a little baton rouge flavor here the last week of march we'll see if ingrid can keep that going at augusta national come saturday if not rose or ingrid who are a couple of the other favorites you got your eye on yeah my eye on two wake forest demon deacons rachel Keane. she's won two times this year six other top 12 finishes and also carolina shikara another one of those power players can really get it around these two golf courses last year she had that wrist injury. She only hit two shots in the practice round, ends up missing the cut. So I think a little redemption for her. Amari Avery from USC, another player to watch out for, actually has 14 new clubs in a ball in her golf bag this week uh, compared to last year, coming off a kind of a poor showing. So again, uh, hoping to kind of get back on the right track. And then a name that people might not know that's Helen Bream from Germany. She actually won the World Amateur Team Championship uh, last fall, uh, actually tied for medalist honors with Rose but she shot 66 in the third round playing alongside Ingrid in Rose. So she's just 17 years old, uh, but she clearly is uh, not too small for the moment. Yeah, teenagers have had success here. Subasa Kajitani, Anna Davis, the last two champions in the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Great storylines that we're going to keep on throughout the course of the week. Going to be a lot of fun, George and Eamon, uh, as we get ready for opening day action here at Champions Retreat on Wednesday. Yeah, we can't wait to watch it, and it's been the uh, precociousness of youth that has prevailed the past couple of years with the Augusta National Women's Amateur. This week on Golf Channel, we've got a full meal for you. Augusta National Women's Amateur starting Wednesday. Valero, Texas Open, the PGA Tour start, uh, on, starts on Thursday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Dio Implant LA Open Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for the LPGA Tour, and then the Drive Chip and Putt National Finals, 8 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. Let's get you to an update on the Epson Tour. That's part of the road to the LPGA Tour this week in the Iowa Championship. Miranda Wang became the third player this season to secure her first Epson Tour victory. She finished with a final round 70 to finish at 12 under par. Look at the final leaderboard, and before the season started, Wang got new clubs, said she wasn't quite comfortable with them yet. 
Apparently, she was able to find some level of comfort as she prevails with that one-shot victory. Well, Eric Cole is a 34-year-old rookie from Thoroughbred Stock, and he's been running a great race this season on the PGA Tour. Lost the playoff for the Honda Classic last month, and he's trying to recapture that form down in Texas. We're going to talk to him coming up next. Golf today, cruising along on a Tuesday. You could say Eric Cole's biggest win this year actually came at a Monday Pro-Am. This was back in January at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am during the Monday practice round. Eric proposing to his longtime girlfriend, Stephanie Williams. Happily engaged couple. Then in March at the Honda Classic, a near win for Eric. Nearly snatched his first PGA Tour victory, losing in a playoff. To Chris Kirk, that birdie putt was to extend it to a second hole. As his consolation prize earned more than $915,000, 300 FedEx Cup points, about 40% of the money and points he is projected to need to find himself inside the top 70 of the FedEx Cup standings at season's end. Best results for Eric Cole so far this season, as he's currently 47th on the FedEx Cup points list. That solo second at the Honda Classic was T15 at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, his most recent made cut at the Players, where he was T27. Let's welcome in Eric Cole now to Golf Today. Eric, you're halfway through your rookie season. It had been a lifelong dream to make it to the PGA Tour. What's the reality been like so far? Oh, it's been great. You know, uh, ever since the week at Honda, there's been a little more attention, and it's, uh, it's all good. I... Uh, I'm kind of just looking to keep the momentum going and have a good week here in Texas. Eric, you lost that playoff at the Honda Classic to Chris Kirk. I'm curious how things have changed for you since then, both in terms of the demands on your time by doing things like this or even the expectations you have of yourself <laughs> since that week. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit more going on, uh, like tournament weeks, doing a little bit more media stuff, um, but that's all good. Uh, it's kind of the thing that comes with good golf, and I'm all about playing good golf, so uh, that's all good. And as far as expectations, you know, my expectations have always been pretty high for myself, so from my perspective, they haven't really changed, but maybe some other people are raise their uh, expectations of me, and that that's okay, but... You know, I kind of I kind of look at it just uh, from my perspective and trying to prepare and get ready for every tournament the best I can. You're a name that either Florida golf fans or golf fans in the Orlando area had been familiar with for years. You look up Eric Cole and then of course you see the number pop up. 56 wins on the minor league golf tour. A guy who won that tour <laughs> championship 2009 and again in 2021 just a couple of years ago. What did that experience teach you as it prepped you now for golf's biggest stage uh yeah i mean playing mini tour golf is not an easy thing and it, you kind of have to be on your game throughout the year so i uh i think it kind of teaches you to get the most out of every round and uh you know you kind of got to grind out a lot of scores and you know you're playing for a lot less money and it's it's uh important money when you when you don't have that much so uh and then also having a chance to win a lot of tournaments is, is always a good thing. You kind of have that pressure and that uh, just that desire to beat the guys you're playing against. We have a youth bias in this game, Eric, this idea that people are supposed to accomplish great things right out of school. You're a rookie at 34, playing some of the best golf of your life. Have you felt that, that kind of pressure in the past where you thought you wanted to walk away because you weren't sure that dream of playing the tour was actually going to come true? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, everyone kind of takes a different road, and in my case, it's taken a little bit longer than definitely I would have hoped. But, uh, you know, for me, it, it kind of came down to I had a lot of people around me supporting me, friends and family saying that I, uh, that I could make it and that I was good enough. And, you know, having that support system makes it a little easier in some of the hard times that you... Uh, inevitably get playing professional golf you know it's one of those things golf is a tough sport and there's ups and downs and having those people around is something that's really valuable one of those good friends obviously grew up playing a lot of golf with sam saunders you saw his journey onto the pga tour sam doing some media stuff and 
kind of at a stage trying to figure out what's next for his career. What did you learn from that experience of seeing your buddy, who you, I know you caddied for at Bay Hill, get onto the tour, mm -hmm. and how did that help shape you now as you're getting your first crack at life on the PGA Tour? Yeah, it was cool um, seeing Sam, you know, have a little bit faster road to the PGA Tour than I did and, you know, playing a lot of golf with him and watching him play great, play great golf on tour and on TV and stuff was uh, was a cool experience for me. And, um, you know, we're actually playing in the team event in uh, a few weeks at, in New Orleans in, at Zurich. So uh, that's going to be a really cool a week for us to play a PGA Tour event as a team is something we're, I think we're both really looking forward to. Eric, during the Florida swing, the tour started to put some kind of shape on what the new structure is going to look like next year. And your name came up in some of those conversations as an example of a guy who could, by doing what you did at the Honda Classic, play your way into these designated events, even though you might not automatically be in there based on, on your prior season. Are you a fan of what you see out there in terms of that new structure? Uh, yeah, I think uh, at the beginning when it first came out, I didn't really know that much about it. And since then, I've learned that, uh, you know, there's you're being rewarded for great golf this year with having access. And then there's also an ability to play your way into those next next year if you have a good uh, week or a few weeks in between the designated events. So I think I think it's really well thought out. And I think for the most part, it, it really rewards good golf, and that's something that uh, I think the PJ Tour is really good with. That uh, I think these changes are kind of going to show that. You know, it's a little bit of a um, like different uh, schedule and different setup with the 70-man fields and no cuts. But you know, good golf is still going to be rewarded, and I think that's uh, what the PJ Tour is all about. Uh, you grew up, like I mentioned, playing a lot of golf with Sam Saunders, also with Arnold Palmer. It seems like everyone has a favorite AP memory or story. Is there one that you can share with us here on Golf Today? Um, yeah, well, Sam and I were actually joking about it the other day during the week of Bay Hill. All the best Arnold Palmer stories might not be made for TV, but um, the uh, I, I, I really valued a lot of the just – being around the range and watching him hit balls and, uh, you know, then going down to the club room after that and, you know, re-gripping clubs or grinding a wedge and just watching him do all that type of stuff kind of behind the scenes. He's very old school and in the middle of doing that, he would tell us a story and those, those are memories that are so valuable to me. And, you know, I knew how special they were at the time, but they seem even more special now. So uh, that, the, like just little stuff like that would probably be the thing that comes to mind. As you're halfway through this rookie year, Eric, you're 47th in the FedEx Cup points list right now. How much attention are you paying to your position in that, given that it's just the top 70 who are guaranteed full status for next year versus the old 125? Yeah, you know, I, I look at it. I don't, I don't pay too much attention to it, but just, you know, at the end of every week, I kind of see where I'm at. But uh, for me, you know, my focus is kind of just on preparing for each week and making sure I'm ready to go when Thursday gets here. And, um, you know, it's, it's on my mind, but it's not something that uh, really affects anything I do or the way I get ready for any tournament. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm aware of it, but I don't, uh, it doesn't change anything for me, really. Seems like one of the main things affecting your prep this week getting the layers and the hot cocoa at the Valero Texas Open. Didn't expect it to be this chilly. Yeah, no, it's pretty cold out here and pretty windy. So uh, I'm glad we're not playing the tournament today. And uh, hopefully the weather will be a little bit warmer and a little bit calmer when Thursday rolls around. Well, good luck this week, and thanks for spending some time with us. No worries. Thanks, guys.